Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Indian country is as strong and united as it has ever been. That is the assessment of National Congress of American Indians President Vaughn Sharp in her annual State of Indian Nations Address today. While the overall message is strong, Sharp says Native nations face a number of hurdles, including legal challenges, jurisdictional setbacks, and unequal voting access. We'll hear President Sharp's impassioned speech from Washington, D.C., coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Leaders of the National Congress of American Indians Youth Commission opened up the State of Indian Nations with the Youth Commission speech Tuesday in Washington, D.C. NCAI Youth Commission co-president Caleb Dash called on tribes to work together to tackle the many issues they face from violence against women, Indian child welfare, to water rights. Our young people, our elders, our mothers, and our fathers are all facing the same issues. And I believe the only way to solve these issues is through unity. The youth speech was made before NCAI President Fawn Sharp took the stage to deliver the State of Indian Nations address. She called on tribal leaders to show up, saying 80 years ago when NCAI was founded, there was no seat at the table for tribes, but they forged ahead. Today, after nearly 80 years on the front lines of policymaking, standing side by side with our partners, we don't just have a seat at the table, we have influence and we have representation all across the federal government, all across the United States and around the world. Sharp touched on some of the accomplishments in the last year from securing advanced appropriations for the Indian Health Service to the reauthorization and expansion of tribal provisions in the Violence Against Women Act. She also laid out a number of priorities for the year, including advocating for food policy, tax issues, and land and water rights. Tribal leaders from across the country attended the event, which was held in person for the first time since 2020 due to COVID-19. The Tulalip Tribes and the Public Benefit Corporation Pallet recently held a ribbon-cutting and blessing ceremony for a new village of temporary shelters on the tribe's reservation in the state of Washington. Jill Freitas has more. The temporary village includes 25 insulated shelters, each have a bed, heating unit, and lockable door. The village will provide services to residents including access to the tribe's recovery program, new medical-assisted treatment center, and mental health support. There's also a recovery center that includes showers, laundry, and more. The project is a collaboration between the Tulalip Tribes and Pallet. Rochelle Lubbers is the Chief Administrative Officer for the Tulalip Tribes. The project was approved by our Board of Directors in October of 2022, and 126 days later, we did a ribbon cutting, so it's been a fast and furious project. Lubber says the tribes teamed up with Pallet to help end unsheltered homelessness among tribal citizens. We found that approximately half of the people in the tent communities were tribal members and the other half being either natives from other tribes or non-natives. Um, and so we have a strategy to provide supportive care at this time to our tribal members and do referral systems for uh, people who are on the reservation and are not tribal members. And our outreach teams work with this population, but PALA is specifically identified as a solution for tribal members at this time. Amy King is the CEO of Pallet 
and started the Public Benefit Corporation with her husband seven years ago. She says they were excited to partner with the Tulalip tribes. Um, I have a number of friends, uh, Native friends and, and uh, colleagues that I've walked alongside for many years. And so this is uh, feels like a, a nice coming home almost of uh, an exciting opportunity for us to be partners. This is Pallet's 100th build and one of only a few of Pallet's projects on tribal land. The tribes in Pallet say homelessness is more common among Native people due to intergenerational factors like overcrowding and lack of housing. And they say while Native Americans account for approximately 1.5% of North America's population, they make up for more than 10% of the homeless population nationally. I'm Jill Freitas. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today, National Congress of American Indians President Fawn Sharp presents a passionate and emotional case for the united strength of Native nations in her annual State of Indian Nations. In her last address as NCAI President, Sharp expressed the importance of just showing up to have a seat at the table where crucial decisions are made. She highlighted gains including advanced appropriations for the Indian Health Service and billions of dollars in funding for tribal infrastructure. Sharp briefly went off script to extol the power of traditional and spiritual connections in guiding work to improve conditions for children, elders, and all Native people. Today, we present the remarks from earlier today in Washington, D.C. Here is NCAI President Fawn Sharp. Good morning, and thank you for being here to join us for this State of Indian Nations Address. I am humbled by the presence of our tribal leaders. It is always an honor every time we gather to walk and to work side by side with many of my heroes and sheroes that I've come to know over the years. Thank you for this gift. And to our elders and youth, I am inspired by your strength. Just standing here in the back listening to our youth, there is no question our future is in good hands. There is no question that the work we do is going to survive into the next century. There is no question that our youth are going to continue to take the legacy and gifts that we've given them to stand tall against any conflict, any force designed to take away our tribal sovereignty to take away our sacred sites. I am so incredibly inspired every time I hear from our young people. So thank you uh, to our youth for that presentation. You are the very best of Indian country and I continue to learn from the examples you're setting in our communities from Maine to Arizona 
from Florida all the way up to Alaska. And to our partners and allies standing shoulder to shoulder with all of us in Indian country, from the bottom of our heart, thank you for your support and solidarity. And to the NCAI Executive Committee, my friends and allies, I call them the Sweet 16, uh, our board, thank you for your leadership, for standing every single day, every single meeting, side by side as we confronted the challenges of Indian country through a global pandemic, through decisions coming out of the Supreme Court, every single challenge we faced as a board, we did not shy away. We directly confronted every single thing that came to our table with grace, with humility, with vision, with courage, and with bold political action. And I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart to each and every board member. All of the things that we have sought to do at the Congress, we can take stock and just look back over the last four years. I've had the opportunity to speak to tribal leaders and indigenous nations around the world, presidents and diplomats, corporate executives and grassroots activists. Time and time again, I found that just as our ancestors taught us, one of the best ways to prepare myself as an individual, as the president of the National Congress of American Indians, is to fast. When I fast, I find that I can center myself and I'm in a place where I can hear the voices of our ancestors. I can hear the voice of our creator. I can hear the voice of future generations yet to be born. We know, and I know many of you in this room and many of you listening know firsthand the power of fasting. When we humble ourselves, when we deny ourselves the most basic things in order to ready ourselves and prepare for the work ahead, it is incredibly powerful. And I've come to learn that that is the most powerful, indestructive part of our being. That is the place where we join our ancestors in that timeless space that knows no beginning and no end. And the courage that we have when we're in that state to share these principles. In a deep, fasted state, I find clarity. And today, I am clear about this. Over the last few months, in a fasted state as I work to not only enter this, the last year of my presidency, but as I traveled the world to meet with global leaders and others, I found this one truth to be not only for our generation, but in honoring of those that have gone before us and honoring those yet to be born. We have to show up. That's all we have to do is show up. We are prepared. We are ready. We prepared an entire lifetime in our DNA. We have wisdom. We have knowledge. We have strength. We have resilience and we have power. And in our minds and in our dreams, that too is infinite. We have all that we need individually and collectively. We just simply have to show up. 80 years ago when NCAI was founded, there was no seat at the table for us. Day after day, decade after decade, we forged ahead with an agenda that many consider to be quite radical. But today, after nearly 80 years on the front lines of policymaking, standing side by side with our partners, we don't just have a seat at the table, we have influence and we have representation all across the federal government, all across the United States, and around the world. 
And now to make good on that progress, to stand up for our rights, to defend tribal sovereignty and safeguard our children's future, we have to show up. After generations of struggle, and time and time again of our inabilities, we have demonstrated resilience. We are, all of us together, as strong and as united as ever. Let me remind you, just in the last 12 months alone, what we've accomplished. This is that part of the state of the nation where I get into some policy. So let's talk about some policy accomplishments. This past year, we came together to secure advance appropriations for IHS. No longer will our healthcare facilities be left to wonder when their budgets will be approved or when the money will be sent or whether they'll be able to provide life-saving services to our people even if the government shuts down. This past year, we also came together to make sure that VAWA was not only reauthorized, but expanded. The new act provides our tribal justice system with crucial resources to protect Native women, children, our law enforcement officers. And it makes clear for every would-be offender, violent crimes committed against our people and our children on our soil will be under our jurisdiction. This past year, we also came together to achieve parity with state and local governments on critical pieces of funding. I'm talking about more than $1 billion awarded in grants and loans to expand high-speed internet, $580 million to provide long-awaited water resources, and nearly $470 million for tribal nations living on the front lines of climate change. We did this. We have incredible momentum, and now it is up to us as tribal leaders to just show up and demand more, more for our elders, more for our youth, and more for our future. We must show up and make sure that the Farm Bill includes provisions to help repatriate our lands, to build our economies, to protect our foods, to protect our medicines. Passage alone isn't enough. We as sovereign nations must have a final say over what we do on our lands and how we choose to take care of our own people. We must show up and fight for the return of our lands. Our land is sacred. It is essential for the full exercise of our sovereignty, for the preservation of our traditions, and for the health of our tribal communities. And while we're making progress in restoring our homelands, we must read down and redouble on our efforts. Now is the time to push as hard as we can to secure favorable federal policies that promote the restoration of our tribal land bases, that ensure our sovereign decisions are not only respected, but they are upheld. We must also show up and fight for federal fundings at levels to uphold the trust responsibility and the legally binding treaties. Because while the Biden administration has made historic commitments to meet the basic needs of tribal communities, federal funding, as we all know and see every single day, 
for our tribal programs remain far short from the debt the United States owes to our tribal nations. And that's why we will continue to push for bills like the Honoring Promises Act, which seeks to provide funding to tribal nations at the levels we are rightfully owed and at the levels we were promised. Similarly, we must show up on issues of inequality of dual taxation by demanding that the federal government affirm our authority to tax and regulate commerce on our own lands without interference from the states and demand that the United States simply get out of our way. You're listening to the 2023 State of Indian Nations by NCAI President Fawn Sharp. She delivered the address earlier today from the Rasmussen Theater at the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, D.C. The theme of her address is just show up to have your voices heard in important decisions when it comes to Indian country. If you have thoughts to share or comments regarding the State of Indian Nations address today, please share them on our social media. This is an edited version. We'll hear the conclusion of her address when we come back from this break. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. President Joe Biden is scheduled to declare an end to the COVID-19 public health emergency. But infections of the virus will continue, so it will be up to individuals to keep track of their own health measures. We'll talk about the latest for vaccines, immunity, and hospitalizations. That's coming up on the next Native America Calling. Ah, Heskel Halt. Think teeth. Medicaid and CHIP cover many children's dental services, including teeth cleanings, fluoride treatments, and fillings. For more information about children's dental health, contact your Indian health care provider, visit insurekidsnow.gov, or call 877-543-7669. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're presenting the annual State of Indian Nations Address delivered by NCAI President Fawn Sharp earlier today. We heard her speak about the importance of showing up to advocate for Native people on the national level. What you're hearing on the show today has been edited for time. To hear the speech in its entirety, you can go to our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. We return now to the speech and President Fawn Sharp. There is nothing that they can do to separate us from the gifts our Creator gave to us. There is nothing they can do to break or sever the spiritual connection and bond that we have. And as I said, we may have ceded millions of acres of land across this country by treaty, but we never relinquish that spiritual connection. Every inch of these sacred lands that we now stand upon all across this continent belong to us and our people and our ancestors and future generations. 
It's also true for our sacred lands and waters. There is a teaching that I often refer to from Chief Seattle. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. And at a moment when the earth is in crisis, it isn't just for our children. And it's not just our children counting on us. The whole world is looking to us for leadership. In January, I had the opportunity to attend the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. What I saw represented there is a global community who wants to deploy resources to fight climate change on a massive scale. Not just millions of dollars, not just billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. At the same time, the world's most powerful governments are falling short of the 2015 Paris Agreement and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The world's largest companies are being sued by their shareholders for failing to protect their investments against climate risk. In other words, the ivory towers are failing. So I ask you, in the absence of leadership, who is better qualified than Indian country to restore our planet's most vital ecosystems? Who has a longer track record when it comes to sustainable forestry and water management? Who can offer a tighter nexus between dollars invested in actual on-the-ground change? This isn't just my opinion. It's a growing consensus. For two years running, the Department of State extended diplomatic credentials for the National Congress of American Indians to attend the UN's leading conference on climate change. And so for the first time in history, we showed up at COP26 and then at COP27. We made ourselves heard and people around the planet are listening to us, to the National Congress of American Indians. Because there's no denying, when you invest with a for-profit business or an NGO, it's hard to know exactly where your money is going. But when you invest precious climate funds with tribal nations, you could take it to the bank. Investors know we're gonna repatriate lands. They know we're gonna value water as a sacred resource. They know we're gonna do everything in our power to protect the earth because that's exactly what we've been doing for tens of thousands of years. traditional ecological knowledge is being taken seriously as an equal and indispensable partner to Western science. It simply isn't possible to achieve sustainability or prevent wildfires or restore balance to nature without the practices that tribal nations have perfected for generations and for centuries. Earlier when I mentioned the World Economic Forum, when I was there, I had a meeting with the forum's chairperson and founder, Klaus Schwab. This is a man with access to the world's leading scientists, the most powerful heads of state, the most influential business leaders. And do you know what he told us? He said, one of the most confounding things about climate change is that it requires people to take a holistic view of life on Earth. And from his perspective, the only citizens on the planet remaining that have a truly holistic understanding of nature and our place within it 
are the 500 million indigenous peoples around the world. We are the only ones left with that perspective and that unbroken chain of teachings and value and wisdom and timeless proven solutions. Now that isn't breaking news to any of us, but when I hear it from the head of the WEF to me, that signals a tipping point. More and more global leaders are starting to recognize that they need our guidance and our leadership more than we need theirs and more than we need them. And here I'll go a step further. The fact is we have sovereign political status, a national Congress, and an international network of advocates and allies. That is why we can never be reduced to a racial category or a special interest group. When politicians forget that we have political power, we remind them. When companies forget that we have economic and social power, we remind them. And we are using that power to make incredible progress for the earth and all things living. And I here personally want to share an example and I want to do a shout out to my friends and family from the affiliated tribes of Northwest, our Northwest tribes. Yes, <laughs> we're in the house. <laughs> we came together to adopt after a series of meetings, a resolution that defined our minimum standards for protecting the earth and addressing climate change. We set out to achieve what no president has been able to accomplish, no governor has been able to accomplish, and that is to hold industry accountable for the widespread degradation and damage that they continue to cause every single day with every metric ton that's emitted into the horizon and into the air. And they came to Washington State and dropped $33 million of out-of-state money to kill our campaign. Our vision for what we knew was minimally necessary. And they killed that citizen's initiative. But we didn't back down. We came back stronger and we came back harder. And we made sure, and it was in our heart and in our mind, in our spirit, that failure simply was not an option and we were not going to stop until they were held accountable and until they paid a price. And guess what? We did it. We passed the Climate Commitment Act in the Washington State Legislature. In that bill, 10% of revenues go directly to tribal nations so that we can restore our salmon, so that we can regenerate our ecosystems. And we held industry accountable. Reporters have called I-1631, the most aggressive climate change initiative in American history. Why? Because we imposed this tax, an estimated $1 billion into clean air, water, energy, and local communities without our tribes at AT&I. That would not have happened. Without Indian country's voice and our spiritual strength and our wisdom and that which we do carry into our DNA, it would not have happened. And we came back stronger. The other thing I want to mention is that when we step in to our role and into our place 
as Native people, we can continue to not only fight this fight for future generations, we can put out calls to action for our collective effort. And that is something I want to do here and now. And I'm going to help the teleprompter guy. <laughs> I'm in call to action. <laughs> so the, the call to action that I want to be able to provide this morning is that when I was elected to this office, I stood before you and said that the real power and strength of Indian country isn't in Washington, D.C. The real strength and power of Indian country lies within our tribal nations at home. One of the core tenets of NCAI is that we have profound strength in numbers and in a unified voice advocating for Indian country. Between all of us, we have generations of wisdom, lived experience, policy expertise, technical skills, a wealth of knowledge that can make a difference and save lives. That doesn't mean that we have to agree about everything, just the opposite. Our perspectives are as varied and as vibrant as our experiences. And those experiences have taken us to every corner of this country. We have lived in every socioeconomic condition through every human possibility. We are the descendants of our ancestors and the ancestors of our descendants. When we speak, generations past speak through us for the generations yet to be born. That means every Native voice is authentic. Every Native voice has value and every Native voice is needed. Our ancestors understood this very well. Collective effort is something they practice with intention. One of the most powerful ways we can call on their strength is by working together. That's why when NCAI was established nearly 80 years ago, our founders envisioned a Congress of sovereign nations, a Congress led by tribal leaders. It's also why as president, I've sought out opportunities to advance the interests of tribal nations by work, working closely with our other national and intertribal organizations. I've come to realize they aren't just partners. Stacy Bowen met with us yesterday at the board, NCI's board and NIHB, and she shared with us something very personal at the beginning of her presentation about her, and it was intended to convey the love that she has for each and every one of us that sit at that table as the leaders of the National Congress of American Indians. And it was in that presentation I realized that not only do we have partner national organizations, we have family. Every person that works within our national organizations our advocates, our attorneys, our allies, they are family. Our regional organizations that do the hard work on the ground and on the front lines with each and every tribe within their region, they 
are our family. We together have this opportunity, and you have my word that this year, coalition building and collective effort will be at the very top of NCAI's agenda. No doubt the challenges and confrontations that I've described will continue, just as they have for every generation of tribal leadership. Back when NCAI was founded in 1944, we were formed in full-on defense against a powerful movement to terminate tribal nations. When all hope seemed to be gone, our founders focused on their duty to provide for the next seven generations. They were, as we are, determined to defend tribal sovereignty. Our legacy of resilience and achievement is what my dear friend and mentor Billy Frank Jr. had in mind when he used to talk about staying the course. And so as proud as I am of NCAI, that we'll soon be celebrating our 80th anniversary, and as proud as I am of our history and our achievements, let us look forward. And right here in this moment, I want to speak directly to the next generation of leaders, our youth. The problems of our time cannot be solved in a lifetime. We are up against challenges that will span generations. However, much of what we do and much of what we plan for today, you are the ones who will make those plans a reality. Stay the course and make it your own. You are ready. Which brings me right back to where I started. We have prepared for this moment, not only for our lives, but over the course of many lifetimes. We are that honored generation that gets to perfect the sacrifices made by the generations that have gone before us. We are in that sacred moment, in that day of reckoning, and we get to perfect all that they've done in order to gift to that next generation of leaders, everything we have in us and everything that we carry. Today, the state of Indian nations is strong because our ancestors work hard to make it so. If we continue to work together, we can make their legacy, our tribal nations everlasting and eternal. This is the true strength and power of the National Congress of American Indians. The collective strength of our tribal nations, tribal citizens, our allies, all of us working together, standing united as one. When any tribe, any single person in Indian country faces a challenge, we need all of Indian country to just show up. Address by NCAI President, Fawn Sharp. As usual, she delivered an impassioned plea on behalf of Native nations while applauding the strength and progress of issues important to Native people. But she also says there are looming threats, including disenfranchisement of Native people at the ballot box. She talked about emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic after losing the priceless knowledge of many elders. She also mentioned the U.S. Supreme Court decision that strengthened state and federal law enforcement jurisdiction at the expense of tribes in Oklahoma. She says the assaults against tribal sovereignty will not go unanswered. 
Again, what we have on our show today is a shortened version of the full address, so we could air it on the show. You can access a full version of today's address on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com, or we'd also like for you to consider posting on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whichever channel you'd like, to share your thoughts or your feedback on what you thought of today's address. When we come back, we'll hear the congressional response from Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. I'm Sean Spruce. You're listening to Native America Calling. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. NCAI President Fawn Sharp talked about the importance of connecting with tribal wisdom and spiritual traditions in guiding decisions that help Native people. Sharp delivered her State of Indian Nations address this morning. We're now going to hear the congressional response to that address by Senator Elizabeth Warren. Here she is appearing on video from her office in Washington, D.C. during today's address. It is an honor to deliver this congressional response to the annual State of Indian Nations Address. As the senior senator from Massachusetts, I have the privilege of serving the Wampanoag tribe of Gayhead Aquina and the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe in the United States Senate, and I am deeply grateful for their partnership. But I recognize that as members of the United States Congress, my colleagues and I have profound responsibilities to all tribal nations, responsibilities that are intertwined with the United States nation-to-nation -nation relationship with each tribal nation, trust and treaty responsibilities that arise from how the United States took so much from Native people over the course of generations. The nation-to-nation -nation relationship between the United States and tribal nations is deeply important. And I am grateful to the National Congress of American Indians for all its work to enhance that relationship, including through dialogues like this one. President Sharp said clearly in her address that the state of Indian nations is strong and that Indian country has made incredible progress in recent years. I fully agree, and I view it as Congress's job to make it even stronger and to play a role in helping tribal nations make even more incredible progress. So to all of you who demand the federal government do that, thank you. To tribal leaders and advocates who came from near and far to advocate for advance appropriations for the Indian Health Service or expanding tribal jurisdiction in the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act or protecting tribal lands, waters, and sacred sites from pipelines or mining 
or for the establishment of an Office of Tribal Affairs at the Treasury Department, or for so many other important causes. Let me say it again, thank you. And to all of you hard at work revitalizing your languages, whether it's those who are part of the Wampanoag Language Reclamation Project in Mashpee, Massachusetts, or those at the Cherokee Nation Durban Feeling Language Center that opened last year, or those sharing your languages with your youngest at home, I also want to say thank you. And to those of you who are teaching Native young people, whether it's at Navajo Technical Institute or at the Choctaw Nation Head Start that I had the chance to visit a few years back, or at any of the other hundreds of places of learning, I want to say again, thank you. And to those of you who take time to educate us in Congress about our responsibilities, about how empowering tribal nations, upholding tribal sovereignty, and furthering tribal self-determination are the surest route to prosperity in Indian country, again, I say thank you. Five years ago, I had the honor of speaking at NCAI's Executive Council Winter Session. And in my speech, I made a promise. I promised to fight to help write a story that overcomes the discrimination, the neglect, the greed, and the violence that Indian country so often faced as a result of the way that the United States has treated Native peoples. And since that time, I've worked hard to make good on that promise. I've co-sponsored well over 100 pieces of legislation to benefit Indian country. And I myself have introduced dozens of bills in support of tribal nations. My bills have a wide range. They go from legislation to revoke the medals of honor awarded to the perpetrators of the Wounded Knee Massacre to efforts to ensure that tribal nations have ownership of electromagnetic spectrum over their lands, to bills to ensure that child abuse prevention funds and housing funds and public health grants all reach Indian country. And with your help, we've seen tremendous progress. One of my bills, the Native American Suicide Prevention Act, which required states to work with tribal nations when allocating funding for suicide prevention programs, was signed into law at the end of the last administration. And in December, President Biden signed into law my bill to ensure that tribal nations can directly access the federal stockpile of emergency medical supplies. But here is the most important thing. I could not have done that work without you. I could not have done it without the input, the guidance, the education, and the wisdom from NCAI and from tribal leaders and advocates from every corner of the United States. And I know that the same goes for many of my colleagues here in Congress. We can't do our jobs. We can't work toward fulfilling the federal government's trust and treaty obligations without you. You've been showing up, and it's making a real difference, as President Sharp's address made clear. So please, keep it up, because together, we are building a future 
worth fighting for. And your ongoing efforts are critical because there are still obstacles and threats to tribal sovereignty that we must work together to remove. For example, it is beyond time for Congress to pass a clean Carcheri fix. The, char the Carcheri decision is a roadblock to tribal sovereignty that negatively impacts many tribal nations, including the two federally recognized tribal nations of Massachusetts. By helping to secure tribal homelands, a Carcheri fix would advance tribal sovereignty and would benefit tribal economies. I will work with you to keep up this fight. As President Sharp rightly noted, the Indian Child Welfare Act is imperiled by this Supreme Court. Now, for decades, ICWA has been crucial in protecting the best interests of Native children, of their families, and of their communities. And it shouldn't even be a question. ICWA is clearly constitutional. I know many of your nations have submitted amicus briefs to defend ICWA, and I have joined in two of those briefs as well. If the Supreme Court overturns this law, it will be more important than ever to protect Native children and to stand up for tribal sovereignty. So I want you to know that I am right there with you on this. Even as Native children face new threats, the United States still has not reckoned with its shameful history of cultural genocide and assimilation practices through its Indian boarding school policies. And that is why I have worked with my dear friend, Secretary Deb Holland, back when she was still in Congress, and with wonderful advocates to introduce a bill to establish a commission to advance healing from the shameful legacy of the Indian boarding schools. Congresswoman Sharice Davids and I reintroduced this bill in the last Congress. Last year, the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs held a hearing on this issue and on my bill, and I want to acknowledge the good bipartisan work that the committee's chair and vice chair, Senators Brian Schatz and Lisa Murkowski, have done to advance Congress's work on this issue. Secretary Holland's launch of the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative at the Department of Interior has also been critical in elevating this issue. In her address, President Sharp highlighted the importance of Native representation across the highest levels of government. And she is absolutely right. I'm a big believer that personnel is policy, and that means representation matters. Secretary Holland is a perfect example of that. But we still have more work to do to get this across the finish line, and your advocacy here will make a real difference. Now, President Sharp also mentioned my bill, the Honoring Promises to Native Nations Act. And if you'll bear with me for a minute, I'd like to talk about it too. You may remember that the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights published a report in 2018 called Broken Promises. 
It found that the federal government has woefully underfunded programs for Native peoples in areas of criminal justice and public safety, healthcare, education, housing, and economic development. And it dedicated a chapter to each of those five topics. The report correctly stated, the United States expects all nations to live up to their treaty obligations. It should live up to its own, end quote. And soon after that, Deb Holland and I decided to take action by de developing legislation together. We worked with numerous stakeholders to prepare a legislative proposal for the Honoring Promises to Native Nations Act. And then we incorporated the many great suggestions that Indian country offered in response. When Secretary Holland moved on to her current job, Congressman Derek Kilmer of Washington State took the baton from her, and he is now my excellent partner. In December, we introduced the Honoring Promises to Native Nations Act, and it has five titles to match the five broken promises chapters. Throughout the bill, we prioritized full funding for federal native programs. No more shortfalls. And the bill ensures that the funding going to Indian country is mandatory. Fulfilling trust and treaty obligations is not optional. You know, too often federal decisions are made for Indian country, not with Indian country. And for that reason, our bill articulates principles to ensure that meaningful and timely tribal consultation is the norm. And it begins to lay out a path to ensure that free, prior, informed consent becomes the standard. President Sharp has championed this point for years, and I want to thank her and I want to thank NCAI for their invaluable assistance with the entire bill. So, although this bill won't become law immediately, I think it's crucial for Congress to have legislation that says unequivocally the United States has broken its promises and the United States must start making good on them. Now, I will reintroduce the Honoring Promises to Native Nations Act this Congress and your continued input and partnership will remain indispensable in moving forward. As I look forward to the rest of 2023 and the remainder of the 118th Congress, I'm filled with hope. Hope for all that we can accomplish together. Hope for continued learning, partnership, and new opportunities. Hope for the future of Indian country. It has been an honor to speak to you today, and I thank you once more for all that you do. That was Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren giving the congressional response to the annual State of Indian Nations address from earlier today. Warren echoed many of the recent policy highlights that benefit tribes, including reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, advanced funding for the Indian Health Service, and what she calls protections for sacred lands and water. But Warren mentions threats, including concerns that the U.S. Supreme Court could undermine the Indian Child Welfare Act.
She highlighted the importance of Congress in securing rights of Native children if the current law is declared unconstitutional. She says Congress can't move forward on fulfilling the federal government's trust responsibility without guidance from Native leaders, and she specifically mentioned NCAI as a key voice in legislation. That brings us to the end of our show today. We heard Fawn Sharp and Senator Elizabeth Warren talk about heroes and sheroes. Nearly 80 years, uh, NCAI has been a leading voice and an advocate on behalf of tribal nations. And this was Fawn Sharp's final address. Her second term just ends here this year, and there will be a new president elected later this year. Uh, she talked about the importance of fasting, which was interesting. Uh, this timeless space with no beginning and no end, uh, a fasted state that provides clarity. And of course, the advanced appropriations for Indian Health Service, which will alleviate budgetary uncertainties from year to year. And uh, not only the extension of the Violence Against Women Act, VAWA, but also an expansion of VAWA and over a billion dollars in federal grants for things like high-speed internet, climate change issues, and uh, also water access. So lots to talk about here today with the State of Indian Nations address. We're not taking calls, but anybody who'd like to share their thoughts on what they thought of today's address, please let us know on our social media. Just because the show wraps up doesn't mean the discussion has to, so feel free to log on and post on either our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, any of those platforms. We'd love to hear from our listeners today and their thoughts about the State of Indian Nations Address. We're back again tomorrow with another live show. We'll get a status update on vaccines for COVID-19 and other viral infections. Elected officials are declaring an end to the public health emergencies, but does that mean Native nations and individuals are in the clear? We'll talk about that and take your calls tomorrow. I'm Sean Spruce. Support for this program is provided by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles the issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. What AARP does might surprise people. For more information and resources, including member benefits, AARP advocacy, and more, go to aarp.org. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. The deadline for applications is May 31st, and you can find everything you need to apply at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org, or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.